Welcome to My SoCast Life, the show where we reread our real-life diaries while rewatching that diary of our souls, My So-Called Life. My name is Matt Brown. And I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing pressure. Oh my god, this is a big one. This is such a big one, and I don't think I even really recall. Man, they just, what I was thinking this morning was, when it came time to do the back nine, like when they went back for their final brace of episodes, they just went for it. Like, yeah. they went with all of this big, big stuff. No, yeah, no messing around. Yeah, like, we've had, we've already had Life of Brian, which is, like, iconic. This is easily, equally, icon- so iconic, in fact, that someone we follow on Twitter and who follows us, who just wrote a book about my so-called life, named Soraya Ro- Roberts last night, when we, when I tweeted that I just received her book, she wrote back a line from this episode. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, yeah, because this is this is so important. So, oh. uh, pressure is, of course, the uh, the one where it is the second part of the uh, Jordan and Angela love affair duology. Yes, and it aired on December first, nineteen ninety four. And later in the episode, we'll be reading from our diaries from that time frame. Oh yeah. But first, we need to talk about this this moment in time where now having been making it in the boiler room in the previous episode and and finally at the very end jordan kind of claims publicly angela for a girlfriend uh now they're actually a couple and uh and and apparently that means maybe they should be having sex and that's the basically the premise of the episode that is the gist yeah so it opens with and it's it's just so adorable uh Angela is driving Jordan's car, and Jordan is freaking the fuck out. But he's being so nice about it. Like, it's it's weird. It's like it. there's about five or ten minutes in this episode where Jordan is actually sort of perfect. Like, he's sweet, and he's uh, generous, and he's vulnerable in these interesting ways. And there's actually, we'll get to it later on, but there are points where he, like, like calls Angela on her shit and is right. And I'm just yeah. like, Oh my God. Like she actually, it's, it, I almost feel, uh, I almost don't want to say this, but it's like some of the faith that Angela had in Jordan based totally sight on unseen on this entire invented personality she created for him kind of actually proved out like some of that stuff was in there. Yeah. Shocking. eh? Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> but like she actually, she was kind of right about him in really, interesting ways and and not not huge ways but like there is actually more to that guy than she knew than we knew than anyone knew really true yeah which is which is darling um so the first scene does set up the premise because he does say like how long are we supposed to keep doing this like they're just making out in the car and he obviously just enjoys being with her and it's very sweet but it gets to this thing which I, yeah. I I took very personally, which is the expectation of sex yeah. in that relationship. And it becomes worse and worse as the episode goes on. It does. But there's this sense that from Jordan, which I have to admit, I guess I, when I was a teenager, I believed too, which is that the normal sort of acceleration of behavior in a romantic relationship eventually just leads to sex. Like if you follow that train far enough you land on sex yeah like there's no other yeah path right yeah there's no other path there is like it it it's i don't want to say entirely it's just an expectation of coupledom but it's like 
you move along this path of, okay, we make out, and then if we want to go a little further than making out, maybe we'll do a little, uh, I don't know, over the pants stuff, and then if we want to <laughs> go a little further than that, under the pants, you know, like, it's like there's this very established cadence yeah. of uh, escalation, and Jordan is clearly getting tired of being on whatever level he's on. Yeah. 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 It's, that, that scene was... Like I remember it from at the time, and I and rewatching it now, I was trying to remember what I thought about it at the time, because I feel like that kind of rapid escalation slash expectation was just not my experience in high school. Like it wasn't my experience in my own relationships, but it also wasn't the experience of my close friends. Mm-hmm. Like my best friend never had sex in high school, and like a couple of our other friends did but like because they wanted to at some point when they were ready and like you know what I mean like it was like most of the people in my friend group moved relatively slowly with on that stuff and like no one had like that type of sort of stereotypical high school pressure I mean maybe one person did maybe one person had that experience but it was like usually that's not how it went but we all kind of felt like that like, we all understood that that is the way it goes, even though that wasn't our experience, but it was still sort of, like, uh, accepted and understood by us that that is, like, what the expectations are mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. I, I don't know where you, like, how or when or why you start believing that, but I feel like we all did. Right. Yeah. Are you talking, when you speak of those friends, are you talking primarily about female friends or male friends or both? Uh, primarily female friends. I mean, yeah. I don't think that I talked about sex with my male friends in high school that much like in that kind of like a personal sort of like Mm -hmm. so what are you doing with your girlfriend kind of way right um but girls talk about that stuff amongst themselves all the time of course so um yeah so I kind of knew where my female friends were at um maybe a little bit more so than my male friends but I, I with a couple of my close male friends as well like one of them was sort of in love with this girl who was a couple years younger than us for ages when they finally started dating. Like it was this big deal because he had been like pining after her for a long time. And I feel like because she was younger, they like waited a long time because she was like not ready. But, though, you know, I was like friends with sensitive nerds. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't that like, you know, th- that pressure kind of thing was just not part of our immediate circle. Uh, at least if or if it was, nobody really owned up to it. Right. <laughs> so, um yeah, I think there was only, like, one ex- exception of someone who had, like, a brief relationship with a guy who was kind of pressury. But, yeah, so, I don't know. But it, I still, watching that episode at the time, felt like, yeah, this is, like, a normal thing. Right. This is how normal relationships go, or this is how things escalate. And it's not, like, weird or unusual to be watching, you know, Jordan get impatient with this situation, even though... Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah, I, um, I was also... Uh, not just friends with sensitive nerds. I was also a sensitive nerd myself. Uh, so obviously in terms of the timeline, this is way the hell faster than anything that not only that happened, obviously it happened in my life. We can talk about my life um, and we will, um, <laughs> but also that happened around me. Like right. this is very accelerated compared to that. You know, like I think <laughs> this, but this is, this will be an indication of how present this idea was like i can say pretty clearly that probably the lifespan of a romantic relationship when i was in like grade 11 so angela's age 15 was like probably within the first six months you were confronting the question 
of whether or not you're going to have sex with each other. Yeah, that sounds about right. But I and and six months to me now doesn't seem like a very long time. But I feel like in high school, six months seemed like forever. Yeah, because it's like more than half the school year. It's you know, like it's that is like a long relationship in my Humble high opinion. school in my high school opinion. Uh, uh, high very. school me nice. <laughs> would have thought. Like six months is probably about as long as I dated my first serious boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and that seemed like a long time at the time. Yeah. Now it seems like, you know, that's like I would have time for like four dates mm-hmm. <laughs> in, that, in that amount of time because I'm a grown up with other things to do. Sure. But, you know, when you're when you're a teenager and your whole life revolves around relatively few activities and people, I feel like six months can stretch to yeah. being a seeming like a long time. Yeah. And I will, I mean, I, so I will throw, you know, my first sort of wholesale recognition and identification with Jordan, which is that I don't know if it is just a teen guy thing or just the culture that we live in or what, but, you know, when further down in the episode, when he gets to the point where it's like, it's just, it's just normal, it's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely, whether I liked it or not, whether I was interested in it, in it or not, when I was a teenager, the consistent messaging the consistent mythology around guys, around every any kind of guy, nerd, uh, jock, whatever, arts guy, the messaging was always the same, is that the normal behavior was that you were going to start having sex as soon as you could um, <laughs> right. to gain access to, you know, being a normal person. And yeah. I think that idea of sex and sexuality is like, some sort of calling card of just being a normal individual has followed me my whole life. <laughs> Rightly and wrong. Really? And I mean, obviously sexuality is absolutely a normal part of human behavior. I mean, absolutely. of course, yes. But like, I will say plainly that like anytime I, the, the reality of sexual relationships and sexual behavior is also that there's a huge continuum there of sort of what happens, why it happens, when it happens, who it happens with all those things. And it's amazing how othered I have felt in my whole life, not just as a teenager, but also as an adult, when I've been pushed outside of these boundaries of sexuality that were kind of made normal to me when I was young. Interesting. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly, like whether I was doing it to myself or not, but that was very much like it, it, it becomes an anxiety. It's not like, this will sound weird, but it's amazing how much of my time I wanted to be having sex not because I wanted to get laid. Yeah. But because I wanted to be normal. Yeah. You know? I know. Yeah. I totally Which is get crazy. That, that like, is crazy. I mean, yeah. Good Lord. If there's one, I can think of exactly one good reason to have sex, and that's because sex is fucking great. <laughs> like, <laughs> what a great thing to do. Guys, if you haven't had sex, can I just recommend it to you right now? It is wonderful. It's terrific. It's such a nice thing to do. Um, but yeah, it's amazing to me that those other things can be the pressure, can be the reason the pressure. I just said uh, <laughs> to do it. It's just, oh man, it just took yeah. me right back. No, it's true. It's true. And and even though you know, I just said that uh, in my friend group, I didn't feel like there was that pressure of like of of your partner trying to make you do something that you might not be ready for. Yeah, the pressure in that other larger sense of like this is what normal people do this is what normal relationships mm-hmm. entail um if you don't want this there might be something wrong with you or 
whatever, like all of that stuff for sure existed. All of that stuff was like part of our everyday reality of, you know, talking and thinking about relationships and sex for sure. That kind of pressure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, as I, as I say often and, and not, I hope, uh, meanly, but I just happen to be a member of the number one privileged group on the planet. I'm a white heterosexual cis male, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on Tumblr where there's a very large ace community and I'm like, if I was feeling othered, I can't actually imagine what it would be like to be asexual or gay or any of the quote unquote minority sexual identifications. Like I, I, yeah. I would have had a nervous breakdown. Like I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Oh God. Yeah. I can't know? even imagine. Yeah. I, just as a, as an aside, uh, like a decade ago, I had this idea that I was going to write a screenplay that was like a romantic comedy about uh, where the protagonist was asexual. Mm-hmm. And so as part of my research to try to put together the story, I, I sort of like lurked on a bunch of message boards mm-hmm. for people who are asexual. And the, like, the, you know, they're just ordinary people who have no sexual feelings and none none of that was... Like, that wasn't the surprising part of being on those boards. The surprising part was how many of them um, were in relationships with sexual people that they really wanted to stay in relationships with, but in which they n- neither party could see how they would ever be happy or satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, like, a weird... Yeah. Like, that human compulsion to try to make something work that you think is, like, the normal thing that you should want or that whatever mm-hmm. is so strong that even when actually both parties are openly admitting to being unhappy, yeah. <laughs> they, they refuse to let go of n- not even, I'm not even saying that they should, you know, break up or whatever, but just like that they're supposed to be in a specific kind of monogamous yeah. relationship and neither party is happy with how it's working and neither party is willing to let go of it. That was the most common theme mm-hmm. on the boards and I was always really surprised by it and and it, I remember it striking me at the time like wow we really hold on to these expectations so hard yeah. even when they make no sense I know. and are actually bad for our lives <laughs> yeah like I have been in very sexually functional nay amazing relationships I've been in very sexually dysfunctional relationships and yeah the the like you said the the I call it should thinking you yeah, know, like the degree to which we just kind of go into a conversation and say, well, it should be like this. We should be do it should be like and it's just like uh, like we're doing it to ourselves, man, like all the time we're all doing time. it to ourselves. Okay. Um we're literally we're not even out of the first scene yet. I just wanted to talk <laughs> about the fact that there's two things. First of all, I love the line where Angela trying to deflect Jordan's sex talk uh says, "Do you ever get obsessed with the rearview mirror like while you're driving?" Thing one. That is intentionally not very deep given the <laughs> subject of this this episode she's you know she's trying to figure out where she is in her life is she ready to make this step forward into adulthood is she still sort of a child what where where is she at and she's talking about the reflection of what's behind her and does she get obsessed with it i love it i yeah, don't know if really they good. meant it or not but this is this is the other thing that i thought was really interesting which i didn't get until this that is absolutely an angela voiceover line that she is saying out loud to another person possibly for the first time in the whole show <laughs> You're right. Right? That is the stupid shit that we hear in Angela's head all the, all time, the time. But she's saying it out loud to Jordan, which is such a, like I said, there is something genuine to their relationship. There's actually a vulnerability there. They're kind of opening up to each other. 
Yeah. In a way where if shit didn't go completely sideways in this episode, realistically, they might have actually been able to be a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of sweet and kind of mm. sad at the same time. True. Yeah. Um, so Jordan is, you know, uh, flat out proposing that they just bone in the car, which I don't know if you had a lot of car sex in uh, high school. I didn't have car sex until my 30s. <laughs> By which point, really, you should have had I other know, places absolutely. to go. But. but boy, car sex, when you finally do start having, I got to say, again, I recommend highly. What a great way to have sex that is. Um, really, you didn't find it just kind of cramped and No, I mean, it, it has its, dis- <laughs> believe me, it has its disadvantages, but there's things about it that are uh, a lot of fun. I think in high school, I had two boyfriends who, I mean, I think in high school, I just, I had two boyfriends period but um and a couple of random dates that didn't go anywhere but uh i think they both had cars i don't think i really had much car sex though no. i feel like that was yeah i don't know i don't remember i don't remember that being a feature of of the time okay <laughs> well then to to angela's uh re- rejoinder did you ever have sex in your bedroom while your parents were asleep Definitely not. That sounds awful. I know. That sounds so stressful and unpleasant. Yeah. And I mean, we didn't have a, we didn't live in a house. We lived in a two bedroom like condo. So right. A, their bedroom was right next door to mine. Mm-hmm. And B, it was a tiny apartment where I couldn't go downstairs to like let, quietly let someone in. I mean, people who, whose parents had houses with basements and, you know, multiple rooms and stuff. Maybe I guess mm-hmm. you could get away with something like that. And I can't imagine how you would get away with it in a small two-bedroom apartment. No, probably not. I mean, (laughs) it sounds like a terrible idea, and also like it wouldn't be any fun because I, I at least would just have been terrified of being found out the whole time. Like I can't imagine thinking that that would be enjoyable in the least. Yeah, I don't know if it was that me and my first sexual partner were just. Well, here's what I think. I think first of all, people who are having sex covertly are genuinely uh, stupid about how much very obvious noise and commotion they're creating, even if they think they're being quiet. I, I, I think they just don't get it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, me and my first sexual partner, we definitely had sex in my parents' house while other people were in the house. We must have been overheard on occasion. Like, I, I, I've been in my house uh, and been like, yeah, that's, that it would be impossible for someone not to hear what was going on. Right. <laughs> you know, like, how, how could we possibly have thought that we were being... Uh, stealthy, but again, I guess in the moment of hormones, it all just you just assume that deprioritizes. You're so crafty, I know. So <laughs> crafty. I spent a lot of my life believing I was really crafty. Yeah, I'm sure that there. Are, I mean, maybe not sex, but I'm sure that there are tons and tons of things that I thought I was hiding really well mm-hmm. when I was a teenager that I, that were obvious to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. probably just the way it is. Yeah, I think we've talked about that on the show before. The <laughs> endlessly diluted stealthiness of teenagers. Nobody could possibly understand what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) So at school, we are contemplating uh, Cynthia Hargrove, who has a pierced nose and apparently is someone that Jordan used to, um, meaning have sex with. Uh, And here's another interesting flavor to all this, which is something that happens here with Angela kind of not verbally spoken about, but is very clearly going on is she's feeling the pressure of the ex. She knows who Jordan's been with in the past. She knows what past girlfriends have done with Jordan. Right. Now she's like, oh, I need to be able to perform at that level. Live up to whatever. Live up to the expectations or I'm not going to be able to keep this partner. And I, I only bring this up because 
this literally led to the demise of my first relationship, which was not a sexual relationship. Which piece of the puzzle were you? I was the Angela in this case. Got where it. I, the first person that I, I dated, her, so, you know, we kind of got together while she was kind of seeing another guy and he was off in, I think he was like in Mexico or something. And, uh, you know, so we started making out or going on dates or whatever it counts as when you're a teenager. And, but when, and when he came back, he was like, it's all good. You know, like we're, we were done. It's, it's fine. But then he told me this story and I, to this day, I'm convinced he did this explicitly for this reason. He told me a story about how good he was at going down on her. Yeah. Way to go, yeah. teenage dude. That's yeah. like how, way to unnerve yep. someone. Yeah. And I like three days later, I was just like, I got to get out of this. Like I was literally like he basically put the whammy on me. Wow. And let that work its way away at me. And I, I fucking freaked out and got out of that relationship because I was wow. nowhere. I obviously I'd never gone down on anyone. And I felt so unbelievably not at her level that I was, I literally ended that relationship to save myself and her the embarrassment of having to deal with that. Wow. Yeah. That's the worst. Uh, that's intense. Yep. And yeah, the worst, the worst, totally the worst. Yeah. I mean, shit's messy. Life's bad. It's whatever. But it was like, hey. I, it was amazing how many years it took me to realize that he would basically just, you know, executed a coup de grace on me and like, I didn't even notice. It was just like, Oh, I just thought he was being really honest. Pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty impressive maneuver there. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so we have probably my favorite monologue in the whole show, which is the Angela thinking about sex monologue where she speculates that sex is a thing that people just have. And that if Miss Krasinowski and Mr. Kutinsky wanted to, they could just have sex <laughs> right now. Um, I love it. I love it's it adorable. It's adorable. And it's adorable because she seems so happy. Like, yeah. she's not even, I don't think at this point she's even afraid of it. Like, she's just genuinely contemplating, I am in the position now where this could become part of my life. Yeah. You know, this could be an aspect of who I am. Um, meanwhile, the Hallie Lowenthal plot is continuing. I think we talked last episode about how I have this really horrible Hallie Lowenthal dislike that is unfair that because <laughs> I think that she made... Graham cheat, which is not true. Um, I'll also say that there has not been enough Danielle on the show lately, but uh, this there's some classic Danielle right here. There's some amazing Danielle. <laughs> when you say what else they could be doing, do you mean like foreplay? That's the best line. It's it's amazing. so funny. It's so funny. She delivers the shit out of it, and it is absolutely something. And I don't even know how old Danielle is supposed to be at this point, but like an 11 year old girl who has no fucking idea what foreplay or anything is would say. Totally. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. She is my favorite. So uh, Jordan just shows up while Angela's sneaking a snack in the kitchen. <laughs> and it's unclear here whether he is dumb enough that he thought she was serious about having sex in her bedroom or if he is just like he just misses her and kind of just shows up and wants to see her and tell her about this house where they could go and bone later if they yeah. were so inclined. Yeah, it is kind of unclear. I was sort of like, eh, maybe this is sweet. Maybe he just wanted to like stop by hard to say with that guy yeah I, I will say at this point with Jordan it's pretty clear that he literally he cannot he does not have a framework to understand the concept that she might not want to do this like it's not even that he's necessarily even pressuring her I don't think he understands that it's possible yeah that they could not do it 
or that, yeah, that because... she could not want it or even that she could just be afraid of it and that if he approached it in the right way and was sensitive to her feelings they probably would get there eventually for sure know? yeah this is i mean as he expresses pretty directly later in the episode this is just what he thinks is normal yeah and he has no way of understanding that that you would not feel that way yeah that anyone would not feel yeah. that way like i said no framework like i just None. don't think yeah. you kind of got to start to wonder about jordan's sexual Life. history like how many relationships how many sexual partners has he had and i'm not saying this in a in a slut at the age way. of I 17 mean, or like, whatever yeah like at some point this guy just started having sex and apparently at that point like it had never introduced it had never been introduced to him on any level that you could have a non-sexual relationship or that you know that there were other things to do yeah or or even that it might just take someone a while to come around to that yeah yeah so even though there are these glimmers of sort of emotional depth to their relationship it's pretty clear that he's never had a relationship right like yeah an actual relationship yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh jordan yeah so quotable lines um it's a dream i'm having a dream i've had this dream only without the cold cuts i use i've had this dream only without the x i've used that you know for the last 25 years i i I use that line relentlessly that is a really good line yeah i need to read from my my notes here because there are two things so the first thing i wrote was there's an empty house that people are using to fuck ew (laughs) super gross oh my god why would anyone want to do that like yeah i I would much rather have sex in a car yeah than in a gross abandoned house that other teenagers are also using to have sex in that's Mm -hmm. disgusting i like get a picnic blanket and go to a park seriously anything is better than that yeah and then there's when angela says breaking and entering and jordan says just entering i also wrote hilarious so yeah i was just like really Uh really jordan But then it goes back to awe immediately, like cute immediately, because Angela, Patty comes downstairs, Angela goes and talks to her, and then the actual cutest thing that Jordan's ever said, which is when he's like, you like me? (laughs) Your mom says you like me. (laughs) Really cute. (laughs) Oh, so sweet. So enter Sharon, goddess of light, who is, of course, the greatest character in television history now and and could not possibly do any wrong. God bless her. Yeah. And I, 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 I've always loved the whole kind of autumn color scheme of this episode, like the leaves are turning and so forth. And then this is kind of the first one where I realized that by intention or not, Angela's hair is now the same color as Sharon's. It used to be that weird kind of chemical pink, but now it's just... It's mellowed. Now yeah, it's just kind of like gone a red. red. Yeah, yeah, she's red, just like Sharon. And, and they have this wonderful conversation about whether or not uh, Sharon's had sex. It's the best conversation. Yeah. Because, and and somewhat rightly so, when Sharon says that she and Kyle broke up and kind of vaguely alludes to it being about her beliefs. Beliefs, yeah. Uh, you know, reasonably, Angela assumes that that means sex. Yeah, like, that she the, was in the same position Same that, thing, that right? Like, in, isn't that what we're all dealing yeah. with? You know, we teenagers of the world. Yeah. Um, so she's comforted by the idea that she's going through the same thing that Sharon went through and that Sharon made the same decision that she is kind of leaning toward making. And then Sharon is like, Oh no, we had sex. Yeah. Constantly. (laughs) Yes. That constantly is maybe my favorite Sharon moment of all time. Because again, Sharon is just more mature than pretty much anyone on this show. Yeah. Like, even though there is the thing that she says, uh, 
you know, she regrets that after the first time they did it, it seemed to be, it became an expectation of the relationship and it became less about sort of whether or not she wants it, which I absolutely, you know, that seems very honest and true totally. to me. I also like the fact that she's so matter of fact about it. Like, yeah. of course we had sex all the time. Like, for the most part, sex <laughs> yeah. was a very experience. Yeah, of course a, we had sex. A very sex. positive experience for her. <laughs> it's that my belief was that he's a butthead. He's a butthead. Yeah. <laughs> which... You know, fair enough. Yeah. Kyle did seem like a little bit of a butthead, so yeah. you know, I get yeah, it. Definitely a butthead. But uh, yeah, he, that that scene is so hilarious, and I love how I also love how matter of fact she is, and how totally normal it seems. And I also think it's extremely true that sex is one of those things in a relationship that you, it's very difficult to take back. Like once you've yes. had sex, it's very difficult to ba- go back to then not having sex unless you're breaking up and you know just being friends or whatever uh it's like when you live with someone it's hard to then go back to dating and living separately it's just a weird move backwards like it's hard to accommodate that it's hard that ends up being just a stepping stone to breaking up it's not really a thing that relationships regularly go through i mean i'm sure some do but making the decision that like yeah we had sex but now let's just never do that again is Mm -hmm. like that's not a thing that people it do very often well. it doesn't yeah. go well that way it it just yeah it's just not it's like one of those can't take it back steps yeah uh and so if you're not 100 percent ready for it even if you have a perfectly fine experience mm-hmm. it can still be something that later on you're like well n- now this is a tiresome reality yeah and i wish that we had not you know rushed into it or whatever like i definitely feel like that is a a teenage thing like a teenage like a lot of teenagers i think have sex and it's and they have a great experience and and that's fine and some have a not so great experience but i do think that there's definitely a percentage who just kind of feel like oh but now this is just what we do all the time yeah buyer's remorse oh well yeah. like yep it might be fun if we did other things. <laughs> yeah. I, so, I mean, I will begin by saying that I do, I hope this isn't just my maleness showing, I do genuinely believe that many uh, relationships benefit by having a good, active, regular, mutual, sexual aspect. I For sure. key element to communication in a relationship. I think <laughs> Graham and Patty would be doing way better if they had a lot more sex, although they seem to be doing fine. They really? seem to be doing okay. I mean, for a couple who's got, like, teenage kids and have been married for 20 years, they seem to be doing, yeah. like, reasonably well. Yeah. But I will say that, um, well, I will say another thing, which, you know, definitely deserves to be said in, in, in this episode of all episodes. My first sexual partner was uh, perfect. Like, we, I am so glad that she <laughs> was the one that I was with, that we went through that together, that we had that experience together. You know, like I couldn't have done better in that whole category. Like it was wonderful. She was a great partner. I think we both had a very good time losing our virginity to each other's over the course of a period of time and then having that relationship for for several more years in that case. Um, I will say that uh, about a year after we started having sex, she did try to walk it back, and and there was like a period there where you know she wanted to not be having sex again, and it was, as you just said, incredibly. That's like very very hard to pull off, right? You know, like, like it, it just, and it's not like we again. We, it's not like the only thing we were doing <laughs> was having sex with each other all the time. That wasn't our go to pastime. We right. were doing plenty of things together, you know. But just like. 
verbally taking sex off the table for reasons that I would argue are very difficult to communicate on at any age, let alone when you're a teenager. Yeah. Is really, really challenging. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things about Angela in this episode that kind of became clear to me this time is that she seems to be seeking justification for something. We don't know what it is yet, but like she seems very interested in the first couple of acts in sort of what is everyone else doing. Yeah. Because I feel like it would sway her decision. Yeah, and I'm not actually sure about which way it would sway her decision. Yeah. Like, she she does genuinely seem sort of on the fence about it. She seems nervous. She seems yeah. not willing to jump in with both feet. But she doesn't seem totally against the idea. Mm-hmm. She just seems kind of scared and nervous and maybe inexperienced and all of those things. Um, and so when she's trying to figure out what everyone else is doing, is it because she wants to feel better about not wanting to have sex? or Or does she want to feel better about maybe just jumping in and having sex yeah it's hard to tell it's hard to tell i mean i i suspect it's that she is trying to get some ammunition for turning jordan down yeah um that seems to be the subtext of the scene with sharon it's very unclear in the scene with the doctor where she's just sort of like you know i need some percentages (laughs) like what do people my age actually do that's that was really funny and that That scene also took me back to because the doctor was like at the risk of, you know, being forward or whatever, uh, use condoms and foam. And I a remembered, sponge, yeah. uh, or yeah, or a sponge. Yeah. Um, and I remembered that like, sponges exist. That's yeah. I remember the sponges <laughs> exist. And I remembered going like before I first had sex, I decided to be very, like I was very practical mm-hmm. and responsible about it. Sure. And I went to like a free clinic that was near my school and I talked to a nurse there and I had her run me through all of the different birth control options. And then I like brought my boyfriend to meet the nurse and wow. like she ran him through the options. Like I was really methodical about it. And it was kind of like very like I just like decided that this was like a thing I was ready for and then I was going to do it properly, mm-hmm. <laughs> which in retrospect, I'm like, I'm glad I was so responsible about it. That's, yeah. great. That's great. Um, but it was also kind of funny and like very weirdly unemotional <laughs> I was like okay now now you gotta go meet the nurse now right. now we're gonna do this thing <laughs> it all worked out fine wow. my my first boyfriend my, like my first serious boyfriend was was also like a really wonderful person who was really sensitive and kind and and lovely and treated me incredibly well and and it was not a very long relationship but it was like a perfect first relationship that's good yeah so the interesting thing about that is just that I mean like in one hand you are absolutely being responsible and you are taking you know charge of your own health your own pleasure all of those things on the other hand you're kind of creating this weird on-ramp to sex right like you're staging mm-hmm. that as part of the conversation and we were doing that too me and my first partner right like we we were you know the clothes were starting to come off and things were starting to happen and it was like you know we we need to start being worried about birth control because the thing that we definitely do not want to happen is is certainly possible biologically even if we don't have sex for sure you know so but that again that conversation sort of starts this on-ramp of like okay well if she goes and she gets on the pill then you know theoretically we are both aligned (laughs) that sex could happen at some point well when's that point you know like all these things happen i was so grateful for that clinic existing because i i think i would have even though i was being very like uh open in my 
conversations with my boyfriend at the time about it. And even though I was being very kind of take charge, like my attitude was very, uh, I wasn't shy or embarrassed about the idea that I might have sex. And, and, you know, I I went to that clinic and I made the appointment and all all of that stuff. But uh, if I'd had to go to a actual store to buy condoms, I think I would have died of embarrassment. Mm -hmm. So the fact that there was a clinic where I could get like a pretty much unlimited supply of free ones was really one of the key factors that made it possible for me to even contemplate like this whole move because I I was definitely not ready for a complete stranger who was not a nurse (laughs) to see me like admit that I might be having sex, which is a funny thing to think about now in retrospect. Yeah, but I mean, I still find buying condoms. I don't, I mean, I do it. Like I'm fine with it. But, like, there have been times where I have literally gone to the drugstore and bought a box of condoms and a bottle of lube. Because that's what I needed right then. And it's like that moment with the cashier where it's just like, what could you possibly be doing? You know? Like, (laughs) I just, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know sex is normal and I'm a very sex positive person. But it's fucking weird to just, like, walk up to a stranger who, by the way, if you're going to, like, a shopper's drug mart, is occasionally a 14-year-old Asian girl... (laughs) And just be like, hi, I'm about to go have an enormous amount of sex. Can you sell me these products? <laughs> like, it's so... It's true. There is something weird about weird. that. Weird. Yeah. That that weirdness doesn't really go away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, meanwhile, back at the house, Hallie and Brad have come over for dinner. Patty apparently got the wrong night. So while Patty is away, two things happen. One, Hallie hatches the restaurant scheme. Yes. To, to Graham. Thing two... George Catalano shows up like the goddamn pokeroo. Like literally later, Patty says, I can't believe Jordan Catalano was here and I missed it, which is what the male, for anyone who's not from our lovely Canada, pokeroo was a character on the polka dot door children's program. The dude, two hosts, male, female, the dude was always gone when the pokeroo would show up and then he'd come back and be like, I can't believe I missed him again. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what that is. Um, Anyway, so no one has ever looked more petrified in human history than Jordan being interviewed by Graham, Hallie, and Brad about his uh, educational prospects and career goals. So funny. (laughs) Also, who has a major in high school? Is that an American thing? I feel like it must have been because I feel like I'd, I'd seen it on other television shows, the idea that you could major in something in high school. I mean, we had, you know, my high school had like an arts program, so you could actually major in dance or drama sure, or yeah. music if you were part of that special program but that was because you were part of a special program it wasn't like yeah a ordinary student in the regular stream would nobody had majors that was well, not I don't a think, thing i don't think we had like declared majors i think there were obvious focuses to your electives you know like i took every english class i could and all of the drama classes for sure know? me like, too but yeah but if so, but i don't think that anyone would have ever asked me like what's your major yeah it wasn't that's like not written like, down on a card somewhere yeah exactly yeah uh, um, anyway, this is a good episode of nobody. I mean, again, Angela, as we've said many times, has a fundamental problem with just telling people the truth. Like she's always trying to just weasel her way out of problems or uh, her own mistruths constantly. So I get yeah. that. But at the same time, this episode is horrifying to me because for basically the first half, she is desperately trying to get someone to give her a way out of this problem and no one is hearing her. Like the doctor won't hear her. She just says, use a condom. Her dad, which is heartbreaking. Totally doesn't hear her. her. Yeah. When she doesn't want to go out on this date with this guy. And she's like, it's okay. I don't have to go. Yeah. And her dad's like, nah, it's fine. Yeah, go. 
Just go. Just it's go. Fine. You'll have fun. Which <laughs> I get it. Like I get why you might. I might miss that. You might miss that. Anyone might miss that. But it's heartbreaking to see that. Like your daughter is afraid to go on a date. Obviously, don't let her go on the date. Like yeah. if she needs an excuse, give her the fucking excuse. Totally. You know, like you just kind of wish that that uh, Graham was ahead of that one. Yeah. But but again, Angela's never direct with anyone, so she ends up at the awful sex house, which, by the way, is awful. Yeah, it's unsurprisingly, like, yeah. the super gross place that we all imagine being super gross is, is super gross. Super gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're literally like in a waiting room, like waiting for a bedroom to open up. Like they're waiting in like a little vestibule, and Cynthia Hargrove is there, and 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 and, and speaking of people who don't hear Angela, Rayanne is there, and even Rayanne, who more than anyone, because Rayanne has that one blind spot where she, you know, really also like Jordan thinks sex is just normal, just yeah. part of her teenage existence she can't quite hear the fact that her best friend doesn't want to do this but you think Rayanne of all people might know that she's not ready and especially because Rayanne has obviously as we kind of figure out later in the episode has been feeling like left or later in the next episode I guess has been feeling kind of left out of Angela's life with Jordan like yeah like Rayanne hasn't seen her as often because of Jordan but doesn't see yeah like even though she wishes she had more angela in her life doesn't see that there the solution is to to just be like hey angela i need you yeah you know what i mean which is like what angela is hoping for at this point because she wants to get the hell out of this gross sex house yeah yeah it's real i mean so again like i think we've seen in previous episodes that rayanne because i guess it's what she has done in her own life sees sex as a vector by which Angela could get into Jordan's life mm-hmm. right so now that she's in Jordan's life I don't think she again I don't like just like Jordan I don't think it would occur to Rayanne that they wouldn't be having sex yeah you know she's just like yeah hey you're about to lose your virginity great good for you which is weird because everything we've seen suggests that Rayanne's experience of sexuality is pretty horrible <laughs> yeah um, so you'd be surprised I guess on some level that she'd think it was a good thing that Angela was about to, to lose her virginity but um, I really hate that word now as an adult virginity nope. yeah i don't think i just i really glommed to how gross that idea is until i was much much older than than i wish i had been when i figured it out yeah it is kind of a gross idea it's a gross idea yeah um anyway meanwhile speaking of virgins and not virgins uh rayanne and sharon the experienced girl so angela has freaked out and left the house and, and yeah and now and we used go... rayanne as an excuse yeah. which jordan then later figures out was yeah. just an excuse absolutely but first thing that happens is um rayanne and sharon are talking about sex in the bathroom oh, the other thing that i wanted to mention actually about the the date yeah uh is that she's wearing like some overalls or something like she's wearing this outfit yeah that is like the least sexy thing that you could possibly put on like whether consciously or subconsciously she has like dressed for failure yeah like this is not the the outfit you choose for the first time that you're gonna have sex it's like this kid-like pair of like burgundy overalls exactly it's (laughs) kid-like ridiculous and yeah and just like you know makes her look like a shapeless awkward yeah kid which is how she feels obviously but it's also really like a funny like way to go wardrobe department yeah <laughs> except i think i would have to assume that's kind of part of the design of the episode yeah is to continuously reinforce that she is still a kid or and whether consciously or unconsciously she kind of, you know like the, the few times we've seen angela dress up 
nice. Mm-hmm. The first time was Rayanne giving her uh, skanky clothes to wear to Let's Bold. Yep. And then she actually whipped out a fairly nice outfit a couple episodes ago when she went to the dance. Yep. Um, but, you know, I don't think that Angela has a lot of nice clothing. Like, I don't think that she has a lot wear. of grown-up looking clothing, yeah. that's for sure. Like, yeah. I, she doesn't have a lot of things that, like, you would wear on a date if you were trying to dress up or whatever. Yeah. That's not, uh, yeah, she has mostly still kid clothing. Yeah. So we come to one of my favorite parts of the episode now, which is the uh, the fucking sexual intimacy videos with Dr. Lindy Shields, who they couldn't have done this better in a million so years of trying. good. Everything. Her name, the way she looks, the way the videos are shot, the, the music, everything is perfect. Yeah. And I, I do think it's sweet as hell that after everything they've been through this season Angela did finally go to Sharon for help like she recognized Sharon is sexually experienced I'm in trouble here I've got to fucking figure this out I'm going to actually go be honest with someone for the first time and and goes to Sharon for help so it raises a question of like how much of her fear of doing this is fear of lack of experience versus actually not wanting to do it yeah because that's part of it too right it's not necessarily even though she's decided she never you know, I mean obviously she's going to have sex sooner or later she knows that but I think she's afraid she's going to let him down on some level as well totally so now it's like if this is going to have to happen I better watch some Dr. Linda Shields videos <laughs> oh the video's <laughs> so good yeah the uh just even in the the first time that you see the video and the couple is like doing various activities when they're kneading the dough together yeah I, 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 Sensuality is something that is in all parts of your relationship, uh, not just the bedroom I, or something. I snort laughed yeah, <laughs> when I watched it this time so around. It funny. was so funny. And all the couples have names, and we'll get to what happens later. But anyway, um, again, Sharon, goddess of light. She says the thing that you know you kind of wish someone had screamed at Angela ten episodes ago. You should just go talk to Jordan because you have this tendency to shut people out. Yeah. And it's such an earned line because that's what Sharon, that's what happened to Sharon. That's totally that's what, what Angela, Angela did, did to her. her. Yeah. It's what she does. Yeah. Yeah. I could really, I mean, that I could really relate to that uh, in terms of my teenage experience. I was definitely an Angela in that regard. Like I was not capable of yeah. actually dealing with my feelings and definitely not capable of talking to other people about them yep. at all so yeah i tended to shut people out or just kind of avoid communication yeah if it was really necessary and you kind of begin to realize that among the teenage characters there's just kind of this hierarchy of their ability to share with one another and sharon is clearly at the top like she's sane and rational yeah and then you know i guess rayanne would be somewhat under that but you know she's obviously got a few blind spots and then maybe you'd hit ricky and then you'd hit Jordan, and then you'd hit Angela, and then right at the bottom, obviously, Brian Krakow. <laughs> oh, but, like, Angela Brian. and Brian are basically the same person, is, I guess, what I'm kind of getting at. Like, that's... In terms of, of their ability to actually communicate their yeah. feelings and needs to the outside world, totally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And 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 they're watching this tape, and then... Uh, and they leave the tape behind... Oh my God! And they so never go back funny. for it. I mean, they don't immediately go back for it. Which I, I mean, it makes sense that they, you know, kick it under the bed so that it's not noticed. Yeah, so and, that they can just get the hell out of there. Yeah, and then they leave. But the fact that they don't 
the the yeah. second that Graham goes back down to the kitchen or what, wherever, they don't that they don't rush in. in and get it is yeah. I don't understand that. Doesn't make any sense because it's almost like you know, I guess there are families and households where the parents' room really is a you know kids don't go in there type space. That's our space. You don't get to go in there, but like. Yeah, like how you couldn't just dart in, grab like when it's that incendiary, when there's really no way out of this problem if someone finds it, <laughs> you know. I don't see why you don't just uh you know, run back in there. So, um Angela has to go talk to Jordan. We agree about this. Mm-hmm. Brian is just flat out glaring at her, which I think is something I mentioned last episode. It's kind of weird last episode that that Brian had to some extent very quickly forgiven Angela for the events of Life of Brian. Here, yeah. it's almost like we've kind of caught up with Life of Brian. Like he's he's pissed at her. She's like, I've got to stop asking you to do ridiculous favors. He has kind of a moment of grace and lets her take the bike anyway. Um, and off they go. Then Graham finds the tape and Patty comes home. And, and Graham assumes, not yeah. crazily, that it might be Patty's tape. No, that... it's a little crazy. Because Graham assumes that Patty left it for him to find. Right. Which is nuts. That's actually that's actually a good point. <laughs> that's not what adults do. Like That is definitely not what adults do. Now, if he thought if he thought that it was her tape that she was like hiding under the bed that she yeah. didn't want him to find and he had found it and was like in a cute way. Yeah confronting her about it maybe i can see that but even that is kind of a stretch but i actually don't know why graham doesn't immediately suspect that angela and sharon left the tape because they were in his room acting weird yes uh like a half an hour earlier or whatever (laughs) instead we get who's your favorite couple mine's gunther and meg (laughs) so good oh the names are so good yeah and then he accidentally uh, offers again under the delusion that this is a shared uh, consideration of a problem that their sex life has become routine and mechanical and that must be why she's <laughs> left this tape for him it's slightly implausible and then Let's he put it that hurts way. her feelings yeah, yeah. And, and and you know I, I genuinely generally speaking I love the way my so called life is shot I think it's a very well directed show mm-hmm. I do think the push in on the empty bed after they have the fight and storm out of the room <laughs> is uh, precious uh, beyond the pale. Uh, maybe going a little too far. Whoever directed this episode, a little heavy-handed. Yeah, maybe, maybe we get it at this point. Maybe you don't need to do this to us. Um, but whatever, that fight was dying to happen, so it happens. Now, here we go. Angela versus Jordan, round one. Quit lying. He calls her out on all of it. Like he finally just freaks out at her and is like, "You're lying all the time." You know, like, and he says what I think is actually really beautiful. You can think whatever you like about me, but I never lie. And that's actually true. Yeah. Like Jordan probably doesn't have the, I have to admit, I feel like this is true of me as well. doesn't have the intelligence to lie, right? Like lying is, you have to be aware of a few different planes of, of reality to lie. And I've always found lying very difficult because it's hard for me to keep that all, that shit all straight. It is difficult and it becomes increasingly difficult the more you do it because you have to keep track of all of the stories you've told and whether they are going to eventually contradict each other or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Angela seems to do it with what's funny. I mean, maybe this is just because when you're a teenager, you're sort of short sighted by nature (laughs) because you don't just don't realize, you know, your, your machinations are just not that uh, complex, but she lies about things that are so 
easy for people to figure out mm-hmm. like to fact check yes <laughs> uh that it's hard to believe that she could possibly think that she would get away with it yeah it's one thing to lie about something that you think okay i'm gonna lie about this to my parents because they will never meet this person that i you know was actually spending my time with or i'm gonna lie to this friend because they are never gonna see this other friend but you know like lying to sharon and uh ran about being invited to the club by jordan and then yeah. going to the club instead of with making them an, with them instead of just making <laughs> yeah. an excuse and being like oh no i'm not allowed yeah. out that night yeah like too bad or in this case you know lying about having to you know Clean take Rayanne, care of huh? ran yeah. when jordan and ran know each other and our friends and she didn't even bother to call ran and be like hey i told a lie yeah and i need you to back me up yeah which you could do with a close friend like you could be like i needed to get out of something and i used you as my excuse yeah but you know whatever like that's fine she would do that for her but none of these things seem to occur to angela she just tells lies that are going to be incredibly easy for people to figure out and then they do figure them out and then and then disasters ensue and but she, she doesn't seem to ever learn the lesson no like you kind of i mean to an extent Maybe, and I don't mean to jump too far ahead here, maybe by the very end of the very last episode, Angela is beginning to learn something about the concept of communication. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But it's a long time coming, and I <laughs> kind of get the feeling that it had the show gone on for several more seasons, she might have been able to communicate in an adult way by the time she was like 22. <laughs> you know? Which is, you know, not a... Not no, a it's not that unusual. Unreasonable, yeah. like rate of progress when you're that age i mean it took me longer i think than the age of 22 to be able to actually start communicating reasonably with my friends and family members and partners yeah so you know that's fine (laughs) but definitely at the age of 15 or 16 she is not capable (laughs) uh so yeah so even jordan is like hey why you lie yeah and uh and then expresses his feeling that uh, sex is just normal. And yeah. So Jordan says a few things in this uh, scene that are bad. Yeah. Um, one of the things that he says that I think is not bad is, because it sounds bad, but he says, I can't believe I let you drive my car. But that's when you kind of realize that is actually Jordan's deepest level of intimacy. Yeah, he loves the car. Remember that song? Yeah, he yeah. really loves he the really car. He really loves the car. So the fact that <laughs> he did that... It's a big that, deal that he did that. That's... That... I mean, I, I don't want to equate it directly because it's obviously not the same thing, but like, you know, in terms of trusting someone enough to have sex with them, that's about as far as Jordan can go is I'm going to let you drive my car. For sure. Then on the flip side of that, he says the line, which actually is the line that I referred to at the top of the episode in terms of what got quoted back to me on Twitter the other night. You don't get it. It's accepted. It's what you're supposed to do unless you're abnormal. Right? <laughs> yep. And the way he delivers abnormal has such venom in it that that's sort of when he completely loses any of the moral high ground. And you realize that basically they're both fucking wrong. She shouldn't have been lying, but Jordan's also completely up his ass about about sex. For sure. And has no idea what's going on or what should be going on. So she goes back for the... So now we start this kind of weird like just like this runner for a few scenes of, of, of the tape making its way through the entire principal cast. Because 
uh, Angela goes back for the tape and Jordan, I mean, Graham catches her getting the tape. So now Graham knows that Angela had, the, which again, like you said, maybe she, he should have been able to figure this out a little bit faster. Yeah. But maybe in terms of denial, being a 40 year old man, you just don't put together that your 15 year old daughter might have the sex tape. It might be hers. Yeah. So that might be a surprise. And then hilarious bus driver who is terrible shows up. And uh, apparently Angela left the backpack with the tape in it on the bus. And again, whoever that woman is that plays the bus driver, that is a day player that got like seriously up jumped, had probably worked on her lines in the mirror for a month and a half, is awful, just basically is playing a cartoon character, gives the tape to Brian. Now Brian and Ricky have the tape. Uh, They watch the tape. Brian says that his parents have a vibrator that sounds like a lawnmower, which is wonderful. And then Ricky's <laughs> uh, response to that is that he wishes he could get away with bicycle shorts, which is also wonderful. Really wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Brian and Ricky. Yeah. What a, what a great what, odd couple. What a team. So then Ricky's debriefing with Angela and we have, there, there are a couple of conversations at the end of this episode that are the, the things that like after the episode aired the next day when me and my friend Amanda saw each other at school, like we were just like, our eyes were like saucers. Like, can you even believe that that was on TV? Cause it was so perfect and beautiful and wonderful. And this is the first one, which is, you know, like, first of all that, you know, Angela has this moment where she kind of just like crumples on Ricky and is like, I had him, I had someone to be with. And Ricky's response is of course heartbreaking, which is like, I can't even imagine having, Having that, yeah. And then she says, you know, the horrible thing that, you know, she should have just had sex with him because it would have been so simple. Which I got to, I mean, not being a, a teenage girl myself, though, I got to imagine that's a very normal uh, justification for having a sexual relationship with somebody. It's and just easier. It's just easier than not doing it. Yeah. Which is so depressing. Super depressing. Yeah. And then, but then Ricky says this whole thing about, you know that it shouldn't be that simple um see and seeing another person's perfectness and all that which actually kind of echoes back without directly quoting uh to the to angela's line from the very beginning of the show what would you like someone to say to you um you're so beautiful it hurts hurts to to look look at you you. yeah so they're they're kind of aligned there in a really interesting way yeah which also is a way that i think we're going to see played out in the next few episodes which is that really angela and ricky are on the crest of being of leaving Rayanne behind. Yeah. Like Rayanne has gotten them to a certain point, but they're developing past her right now. And mm-hmm. there will not be as much of a place for Rayanne in their lives going forward. Yeah. Which is that. Ricky is just so heartbreaking all the time. Cause yeah. he's so like all, all of those lines are like, he's just such a romantic. Yeah. He's just like, he just feels really deeply and he really like, yeah, wants like it it's only heartbreaking because ricky's own perception of his reality is that all of these things are incredibly beautiful and he wants them for his friends but he doesn't think that he will ever have them for himself right and that's really sad and and is reinforced over and over again Mm -hmm. in various scenes in various episodes but uh but that he's still like he's not bitter or jaded he's actually just really hopeful that like these beautiful things can happen for others Mm -hmm. (laughs) which makes it even sadder yeah and i mean i honestly don't know in the history and pathology of my own sex life and sexual identity 
sort of how this happened or what created it. But the reality is I basically feel the same way about sex that Ricky does, which is that I, I really, uh, I've never had a transactional relationship with sex. Like I don't find uh, stranger sex interesting. I don't find even, you know, limited acquaintance sex interesting. Like I, I've just, sex for me is something that you do with someone you really, really care about. You know, it's simply uninteresting to me in any other way. Like if, 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 if that's not the case, I would rather just masturbate. Like it's the same thing. Right. You know, like, and it's, you know, it's just the way I've always felt about it. So this thing, you know, Ricky says here, I can't remember, honestly, when I first heard it, was that already how I felt? Did it help kind of engender those feelings in me? Like, I don't know, but yeah. I identify it with it very strongly. Yeah. And then Cynthia Hargrove just happened to be in the stall and comes out and just gives the stupidest little button on the scene of all time. I know we don't like know each other, but can I ask you a question? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Do you work at Big Guy Burger? <laughs> anyway. So back at home, here here comes something really weird, which is Patty and Graham, are, they've been fighting about sex. They've been fighting about the restaurant. Um, and then they start to make out on the couch. And one, I hope that I get to still make out on the couch when I'm 20 years married. But I got to assume they're... At this point, their relationship is as good as we're ever going to see it again. Yeah. Like, they're actually communicating. And clearly, their sexual relationship is part of that. Like, when they're making it on the couch and they maybe are about to have sex, things are going okay. And then, for some reason, and I couldn't quite put a pin on why, apparently, Graham loses his boner. And here's my question. Is it because Patty said that she had faith in him? Like, was it because Patty was being supportive that Graham <laughs> lost his boner? Like, <laughs> Graham can only get it up if she's sort of being mean to him? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did not think about that. I didn't but either, but it's the only thing that happens maybe. in the scene that's, that sort of makes sense. And given their horrible power dynamic relationship, you kind of got to wonder... Like maybe he needs Patty to be unsupportive and maybe, critical. Maybe he needs, yeah, to be dominated in right. some ways. And he kind of <laughs> can't handle being given the lead. You know? <laughs> maybe. Oh, man. Yeah. It casts their relationship in a does. whole new light. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Could be. I mean, I, I kind of assumed that he loses his boner. I, I didn't really think about why, but I kind of assumed that it was just part of the the overall sort of push and pull dynamic of like their relationship kind of goes through these sure these you know cycles of good bad maybe infidelity mm-hmm. stuff. There's like a lot going on for Graham. The idea of the restaurant, this Hallie Lowenthal. There's like it's just a you know yep. It's a whole soup. Yeah, of, it is of, a whole soup, but I'm trying not to like hang too much on it. But it seemed like I said, like there's a there's a there's a moment there where it's everything seems to be working perfectly. Yeah. And then basically from here on out, it will cease to be working perfectly. So maybe if Patty had just recognized that he needs to be Yeah. Dominated. Uh, dominated and and shamed (laughs) (laughs) totally maybe oh man i really don't know but anyway so graham instead patty gets to go away confused and disappointed and graham lays down for a nap on the couch and then thereby 
gets to overhear the final two scenes of the episode. So first of all, Brian comes over and freaks out at Angela about leaving the bike, bike behind. And um, really, he's just freaking out because she went to see Jordan Catalano. Yeah. He doesn't... He's just freaking out because he's Brian at this He's point. Brian. He, he freaks out. But it's also like if she had taken that bike to run an errand and left it at Sharon's house, I don't think he would freak out. Yeah, I think it's because not. she took it to see... The Jordan irritant. Yeah, yeah you know, she yeah. took it to see the boy that she actually likes. Yeah. And Brian has to contend with that in yeah. a way that is chafes him more than because he was being you know nice about giving her the bike mm-hmm. even though she admitted that she always takes advantage of him yeah and then he, i think this forces him to realize that he was once again just taken advantage of yep. <laughs> and it's annoying yeah. what can you do absolutely when you're but Brian? <laughs> um he's alarmed obviously when she doesn't yell back at him and then maybe, and I, I don't know this for sure, but maybe for the actual first time in his life, Brian tries to be an empathetic person. Yeah, Like maybe, maybe this is the actual first time this has ever happened. Um, and may, you know, I doubt he even would have done it if it was anyone else, but this is kind of sweet. The fact that it's Angela actually kind of lights this spark where it, like underneath all of it, and again, these are two very internal and thereby deluded characters, but underneath all of it, he actually does care about her, like fundamentally. It's not a sac- it's not a selfish uh, feeling with Brian. Like he yeah. does actually care about Angela. He, he may does. be really fucked up about how he goes about it, but he does care about her for sure. So for this like this little moment, he uh, he's willing to listen to what's going on with her. He literally invents not all men right here <laughs> <laughs> when she says why do boys only think about sex? And he's like, not all boys. Um, <laughs> and then there's the great moment where uh, it's it's genuinely a revelation to him that girls think about sex too. Yeah. Which I identify with strongly because I, I got to tell you, like, especially, I don't know if it was just in the 90s uh, or what the deal is, but that idea, again, it's part of the whole masculinity empire and maybe the reason I felt all of these rules and mythologies around me all the time, but... You know, that idea that boys are interested in sex, women are to be pursued. Women tolerate sex? Yeah, something like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Again, that's get, kind of gets back to where I get in trouble with the whole virginity, lack of virginity thing. Like, that's words. I don't like those. You know, like, there's all these power structures in play. And, and yeah. And yeah, it was genuinely surprising to me to meet and converse with women who had active sexual interest. I definitely had the experience of being the woman half of that conversation many times yeah. in my youth. Yep. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, so anyway, now suddenly Jordan shows up. He's got the bike. Uh, there's this weird moment where Patty sees him, knows it's him, doesn't stop. Like, yeah. but just knows because, oh, because I guess we didn't even talk about it, but there is that thing a little bit earlier where Graham cannot describe Jordan Catalano, but Hallie Lowenthal can in yeah. terms that Patty can understand. And I don't even know if Hatley's assessment of him is accurate. Like, she says some things that don't seem uh, right based on what we know about, about Jordan, but it definitely, she gives Patty what Patty needed in that moment. Yeah, for sure. And so Patty recognizes Jordan without without that. And then and then we have Jordan versus Angela part two, uh, which is heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah. So... Finally. I did, I did uh, in the previous scene with Brian really enjoy like how amused Graham seemed to be on the couch. Like he wasn't, he was like not worried that his teenage daughter was talking about sex with yeah. a boy. He was just like, Oh, 
you know, perhaps like I remember (laughs) these ridiculous feelings and awkward times and it's cute. (laughs) It's very cute. Um, which any, by the way, any cuteness about that is about to be stomped (laughs) because majorly because Brian leaves and Jordan comes in and Angela actually does now talk honestly to Jordan about what happened. Not particularly eloquently, but she does do it. Um, talking about how, you know, it made like, it was like driving his car, putting it in terms he can understand, uh, making her feel powerful, scaring her about all the, you know, basically about growing up. And then, you know, I think the closest thing that Jordan can say to saying that he actually likes her and that he is sad about this is that he won't trash talk her around school. Yeah. You know, but that is, I mean, that is him saying that. That's him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's like a real thing. Like I, I think that people, you know, uh, those rumor mills about whether someone did or didn't have sex with someone else or whether so-and-so was a good or bad boyfriend or whatever, or girlfriend or what, like those, those things are real. People do talk about each other in high school. Um, rumors definitely do get spread. Mm -hmm. They can, they can be nasty. It happened in episode three of the show. Exactly. Um, so the fact that he, like, not only is he actually sort of admitting to caring about her by saying this, but it's actually also like a real concern potentially Yeah, yeah. uh, that he's allaying by saying this. For sure. And then we have another instance of Angela actually sharing what would normally be an Angela internal voiceover when she goes on this weird sex and death are connected rant. Um, sex makes your life start and, and I mean, like, I, I remember being like, Oh yeah. Like I was really like, whoa, whoa, deep way to go. Angela. First time I saw it. But then we have this, this tiny little thing where, where he says that he's sure that she won't take her turns too wide. And, um, Angela internally this time says sometimes someone can say something small that just fits into this little place in your heart. That was the line that like, you know, the next day me and Amanda were just like, what? Yeah. Oh my God. And that's obviously proven out true billions of times in my life that thing where the tiniest stupidest thing is just that thing that you'll hang on to forever yeah for sure and graham is heartbroken on the couch because he had to overhear all of this and frankly so am i yeah for i i you know i made no secret on this show i don't particularly like or support the jordan angela romance but uh they get so close to kind of unlocking something in each other. So close. Closer than I remembered. You it's know? it's actually more heartbreaking because of that. Yeah. Than it is because, you know, now Angela doesn't have her perfect right. fantasy lover or whatever. Uh, like <laughs> yeah. it's it's actually more heartbreaking because both of them come so close to opening up to another person. Yeah. Uh, in a way that would probably help them grow and develop into better, more mature adults sooner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they just miss it. They, they just, just miss it. They just miss and for it. stupid reasons, really. Really stupid like reasons. Like when you like, look back on it even a week later, I kind of feel like I mean, you'd have to be a teenager. You'd have to be embroiled in teen hormones and teen angst to think that any of this was a big deal. Yeah, or in any way reasonable. You know, like here, here's the thing about adult life, for those of you who aren't one. Um, when you get into a big fight with someone... Oftentimes, that's not the end of your relationship. I don't even mean dating relationships. I mean, like, you know, like, yeah. you might talk about it later, be honest about what actually happened, and be like... And then move past it. Well, let's move on, yeah. you know? I mean, I guess there's a degree to which, for whatever reason, Jordan has drawn this line in the sand, we must have sex, and Angela has clearly drawn a line, I'm not going to, and maybe that's why they need to break up right now. 
Yeah, which is also a stupid reason because it's like, well, you maybe in like a month's time she'll be ready to have sex. Like, yeah. what's the big deal? Yeah, you still get... enjoy hanging out and making out with each other, and yeah, you know, why does not wanting to have sex right at this second actually have to matter that much? Yeah, absolutely. but I guess in teenage terms, it's momentous. Yeah, All right. and again, you know, we've we've said like Jordan doesn't have the framework to understand that as an idea. And he, even at the end of the episode, I think he still doesn't. Like, he's just like... Yeah. I think he would probably interpret um, not wanting to have sex as not wanting to be with him. Yeah. Because he doesn't know that there's another way to do that. Exactly. Yeah. It's very sad. It's all very sad. Okay. Um, this is the part in the episode where we are going to have a look at what teenage Matt and Cat were up to on the 1st of December or around the 1st of December. 1994. Would you like to uh, to go first, or shall yeah. I? I? I will go first. I've got the page open right here. Beautiful. I was uh, real angsty, no surprise. Um, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I'll just read it. No, no commentary. I need to resolve everything. <laughs> <laughs> I need to think for a very long time. I need to call Kay, find out what's going on. I really need. What I really need to do is get over this paranoid feeling that everyone will be reading what I write here. If anyone did, I would be devastated. It took me a year to get over the fact that my parents read my diary once. It took me months to stop censoring myself and writing down my real feelings, which is the purpose of a diary. If it happened again, I don't think I'd ever write again. Maybe that's a bit melodramatic, but it's not untrue. I mean, I'd never write candidly again. Maybe I'd write a tell-all book and expose my secrets. But I hate those. Besides, you have to be famous first. I'm very tired. I am so tired. This has got to stop. Wow. <laughs> that is beautiful. Isn't that yeah, something? That's really something. And it's meta. It's about... It's so weird. Like, it's... So, for, first of all, apparently your parents read your diary. So, this is... My mom claims that I left my diary open on the kitchen table and that she looked at it and started reading it because it was left there. Sure. I totally don't remember leaving it open on the kitchen table. I, I can't imagine doing that because I was always so paranoid about, you know, the, the possibility that she might read it. But maybe I did, and it honestly it doesn't even matter mm-hmm. how she found it. But yeah, she read my diary when I was like 15 and got really worried about some stuff that she read in there, about some people that I had met when I'd gone down to Kensington Market which, like, to be fair, those I met a bunch of like Kensington punks who were just like who lived in a house on on the street and and were sort of ridiculous and I thought amusing, and nothing really happened with me and them. I like entertained teenage fantasies about like going to a party at their house, which I never would have been allowed to do because I was basically all constantly grounded when I was a teenager anyway. So mm-hmm. like nothing ever would have happened. Nothing ever did happen. Uh, I just met some colorful people in the market and thought that they were neat and uh, wrote about it in my diary and went on about various things that were were never going to be like a reality, but it made my mom really freaked out and she confronted me about it. And I was so upset that I am not even sure that I'm over it now. Like I'm wow. not, I'm actually not that I'm mad at my mom. I'm I'm not. I'm over that part of it. But in terms of uh, writing candidly in a diary, mm-hmm. I did stop doing that. I stopped doing it at that time, and then I went back to doing it 
in the one or two years following. And then I pretty much stopped doing it forever. Hmm. Like I don't, I still, to this day, I keep a journal and I write it with the idea that someone might read it. Mm -hmm. So I don't write down the whole truth. I don't write down my true feelings depending on what the situation is and depending on whether I would want anyone to know. Uh, So it did affect me forever in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was extremely honest in my kid diaries uh, up to the age of 15 or 16 and then never quite as honest after that. Hmm. So it was kind of a big deal to me. I'm obviously being like very melodramatic about it in this diary entry. And I don't know why in this particular moment in time, I felt worried that someone would read my diary. I, I don't know if something specific was going on that I was concerned about or that my parents were concerned about. I don't remember, but, uh, but yeah, that was definitely a, a big thing for me. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, first of all, it's just fascinating that here we are literally reading our diaries out loud to out strangers, loud to, total strangers. to each other and to strangers. And your parents are probably listening to this episode. And yeah. By God, how did you get to the end of this one? Of all episodes, <laughs> why was this the one you're still listening to? Um, but yeah, it's so interesting how that, like I have never had an experience that I know of where someone read mine. I've every long-term relationship I've ever been in, she has asked me at some point, like, can I read your diary? Interesting. Every single one. And I've, I think I may have said yes to the first, but then that thing happened where like instantaneously I started writing differently. Yeah. With the understanding that someone might read it. I don't even know if she ever actually did read it or if I just said that it would be okay. And then I started self-censoring, but you know, Ever since then, policy has been, no, absolutely not. Because, you know, it's just not for that. Yeah. It's not for that. It's not for public consumption. It's not for anyone to read. It's for me alone. And that's it. That's the reality of it. Yeah. I very oddly, timing out with this episode, or any of our episodes really, after 25 years of writing in the computer uh, for my diary, I started a written journal yesterday. In a notebook. Yeah, in a notebook. Cool. Yeah, I was like, that'd be an interesting thing to do. Just sort of change the mode and go in a different direction with it. I've I've never kept an online diary. Yeah. Or not online, but I mean on a computer. Yeah, but um, the thing like now that I'm aware of is that, like with the computers, I think initially I was kind of afraid, oh, what if someone logs in and reads it? Right. Now it's like, no one will ever log in and find my diary in my computer because they would never know where to find it. They would never, they wouldn't be able to log into my computer in the first place. Yeah. You know, if I got hit by a bus, no one's going to go read my diary because they're never going to find it. They're not going to know it's there to be found. The weird thing is now I'm going to have this physical object that will sit on my shelf that theoretically, yes, if I got hit by a bus, someone could go read that. I won't care. I'll be dead. It's fine. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, it's this weird conversation I've always had where I have to keep a very clear mental line in my head that no one is allowed to read this It's just for me or I will change the way I write it. Totally. And I've just given up. I can't, I can't go back. Yeah. And so I, right in the past year, like last July, uh, when I found out that I was pregnant, I decided to start keeping a diary because I wanted to remember all of the wacky things that were going to happen in that, in that period. And in the early, especially in the early days of having a baby, because I know that, um, minutia seems like stuff that you would never forget, but that you actually totally do forget mm-hmm. actually pretty quickly. Um, 
And I started that diary with the idea that potentially one day I would uh, let either my husband or my son read it, like on purpose, like uh, as a memory book mm-hmm. that that any you know th- that my child could access of his early days, kind of thing. And so I I was writing it from the start with the idea that it you know that there could be an audience for it, and that it so um, that's been kind of fun, mm-hmm. but it's been a different kind of project. And I also have a like I have like a day book in which I jot down like a page a week basically of things that happened or whatever. And I feel like I've been using that more as a way to just remember stuff that I'm doing than to actually talk about my feelings. Because even that, even though I have no intention of sharing it with anyone, I just can't get past the feeling that someone could read it. And so I just don't ever, not that I'm doing anything that I actually am afraid of anyone finding out. Like I don't have secrets Mm -hmm. per se, I don't have anything, I don't do anything that I would be worried about Colin finding out or like there's nothing that I'm keeping from the world. It's just that the like super honest emotions make you vulnerable no matter what. So the idea of putting them out there somewhere Mm -hmm. where they could be found is as an idea stressful now. Right. And I just don't do it even though there's no longer any reason to worry because Mm -hmm. even if someone did find it, like who would find it? My husband would find it maybe, I guess. And like, I wouldn't, it would be probably fine. (laughs) Um, He's read the teenage diaries that I dug up because of this podcast and uh, laughed heartily at my, uh, well, of course (laughs) my uh, crazy angsty teenage self as do I. And like, I totally don't care. I mean, it's embarrassing at times. Like some of the entries are embarrassing, but I totally don't care about anyone reading these diaries now. It's yeah. who cares? I well, was 25 clearly. years ago. You're reading them on the I'm air. I'm reading them on the air. Yeah. All right. Just to do mine real quickly. As I recall, well, this is, this is relevant ish, but not very, but anyway, um, 12, the way I see it, I can go two ways, wait it out or give up. Having selected waiting it out. I can go another two ways, awake or asleep. If I go awake, It'll be a very long and painful wait. If I put my feelings into hibernation and just concentrate on the friendship, then bingo. If something arises, it does. If something arises with someone else, it does. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. Free at last. <laughs> Good Lord. So who was that about? I got to imagine that one, Sandy. Right? Like this, I, I think if we're in... Sandy, de- Sandy, Sandy. Yeah, Sandy, 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 Sandy. <laughs> I think if we're into December of 94, this is possibly even coming up on when I would have told her the way I felt. Hmm. Can't remember exactly what the details around that were. I think, I think, yeah, I think in November, November was when I was really, really into the Sandy thing. Right. Like fell head over heels for her. And I probably by now would have determined in conversation that she was really just only interested in keeping this uh, friends, which is fine. And everyone has that right. Um, It's all good. And did you, were you as capable as that diary entry makes it seem of compartmentalizing your feelings in that oh God, way? I can't even do that now. <laughs> Are you kidding? Because that seems like, uh, like really you could just switch off the yeah. feelings? Like that's pretty no, impressive. No, it's impossible. I work with one of my exes. It's excruciating. And that was years ago. Like it's excruciating. No, I can't. I'm terrible. I'm the worst compartmentalizer that currently lives. Like I'm, it's disgusting. 
Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. Like that whole idea. And it's funny because even, even to this day as an adult, I do still have those kind of ideas that if I just figure this out rationally and I sort of pick the direction that I'm going to go, I'll just be okay. Like I, I understand. No, no, not even slightly. Not even, not even a little bit okay. Not really how feelings work, I no, guess. No, certainly not with me. No, God knows. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right. I think at an hour and 24 minutes, that would have to be our longest episode ever, naturally. How could it not be? How could Look it not this? be? Pressure. I don't even remember what the next episode is. Is it the Christmas one? Are we getting into Christmas now? I don't think it's the Christmas one yet. Is it? Okay. Well, we'll figure it out and come do it, and you'll hear it in two weeks. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. You can leave comments on this episode at modernsuperior.com. Once again, I'm Matt. And I'm Kat. And we love you. Goodbye. This has been a presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network.